people make the mistake of thinking that the way they use a particular interface is the only way. They don't think beyond themselves. I'm Henrik. And I'm William. And you're listening to The Known Unknowns. Hey, William. Accessibility. It seems to be on everybody's lips these days, especially in web development. Yeah, it definitely is. It's about time. Yeah, I mean, it's a very important topic for sure. And that's why we invited a very special guest for this episode. Yeah, and this guest was a big part of building the very foundation of uh, what we call accessibility today. Let's go. Welcome to the podcast, Steve Faulkner. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. So, Steve, you have been an accessibility engineer for um, around 20 years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, originally from Australia, now living in the United Kingdom. And... Uh, you had uh, more than a hand in developing HTML5 and uh, Way Aria specification as a member of World Wide Web Consortium um, and the different working groups. And you are also the editor of a few World Wide Web Consortium specifications on HTML5, using Aria in HTML, accessibility APIs, and uh, text alternatives. So. You're, you're quite into accessibility, aren't you, Steve? I am definitely into accessibility. That's all I've been doing for the last 20 years. First of all, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, how did you end up in these working groups? And uh, what do you do when you're part of, of this working group? Um, like, how, how often do you, do you meet? other participants in in these working groups and and what do you talk about and what do you do okay well well around 2006 2007 i i had some um interaction with people from the w3c so so when the the new wakehead 2.0 was before that was released i um through my work i'd i'd been uh involved in providing feedback on the the new success criteria the ones that were you know replaced wakehag 1.0 and so that's how i got my introduction into it was just providing feedback and then around i in 2006 i moved from australia to the uk i started working for the Passiello group tpg um and at that time, there were only a few of us who were working as consultants or engineers, whatever you want to call us. And but we were very active, and we got involved in in um, stuff happening at, at the W3C. TPG wasn't a member of the W3C at that time, but you could uh, comment and become member of. Uh, certain working groups at that time, um, you didn't need to be, you could join as, as something called a uh, invited expert, which, I mean, you didn't need to be an expert. You just need to have a, a, enough interest to, to be involved. And it was around that time that that uh, there was a lot happening um, in regards to the development of HTML and the the, at that time, the breakaway group, was the WG, the Web Hypertext Application Technology Group or something, something of that. Um, but, you know, everybody knows, knows them as WG, And they'd come back um, and started to work with W3C to develop the next iteration of HTML, which was is HTML5. Um, but at that time, there was a lot of... Um, conflict going on, shall we say, or, or spirited discussions about various aspects of the accessibility um, 
what would, you know, how was accessibility going to be implemented in HTML and, you know, what, what they, did it mean? I mean, there was in HTML4 and uh, there was a number of, of uh, accommodations or, or things building, features building to, to, for accessibility, such as um, the longest attribute. That's that's a good one that, that people get really riled up about. But the the philosophy of, of um, the implementation of, of HTML features at that point was, was very much sort of tacking things on um, but the actual usage of them was found to be that they were uh, largely either ignored or not well implemented across browsers or not well implemented across assist technology. So anyway, I got involved in, in the HTML um, working group at that time, uh, along with a number of other uh, accessibility related folk and there were there were big sort of discussions and and a lot of heat um involved in that and i just carried on being involved and uh eventually somehow i ended up being one of the editors of html at w3c but by that time that the um the two uh HTML had been sort of bifurcated or, or forked into a W3C HTML or what WG HTML. Um, but what that did was give me the opportunity to write a lot of stuff into HTML about um, about accessibility or, or taking into account certain aspects of accessibility that weren't in there before. So. What were the heated arguments about mainly? What was it that that made people so riled up about this? Well, I, a lot of it was the cultural um, were cultural arguments because essentially the the what WG were a group of younger um, techno technologists or technocrats and the that um, had a strong vision for what how they saw HTML. To be developed, and in a lot of ways, their their vision was was reasonable, and it helped um, make HTML into a practical success, rather than than the the sort of um, theoretical ideas about XHTML, and and uh, they were sort of more practical and and defining how it's implemented in browsers and all those things. Um, and so I learned a lot of from from their their um, perspectives along the way. Um, but the, yeah, the arguments were about you know sort of like the 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 features that were in HTML four, for example, that were um, that were there to support uh, accessibility. Some of those were stripped away. Some of the uh, a lot of the advice in. Um, that was put into HTML5 was seen as as not taking into account uh, accessibility concerns, or was written in such a way that um, the the whole ed the editing of of the HTML5 specification was was quite an autocratic uh, sort of um, one, whereby there was one person who who very much had control over everything that went into the specification. And that didn't really gel well with the consensus model that, of the W3C. So you just had lots of fights about uh, about wording, about implementation, uh, about defining how things should work. Um, and was, you know, we're still, the ramifications of those things are still hanging around today to a certain extent. But I would, I would say that that. Uh, so how I got involved was just that I, I turned up and and responded to uh, things on mailing lists. These days it's much easier to um, comment and interact in regards to a range specifications because everything's on GitHub, mm. so you can open an issue and you can you know, and you can uh, comment and. Um, make your your views heard in, in that way. 
was barely involved before GitHub yeah, at the start of my sort of uh, IT career. And I mean, honestly, I can't really think back. It feels like the dark ages because uh, you had these websites that were um, sort of, they had things, but not everything. And you could check out the code or whatever, but it was always some assembly required. Like with GitHub, it's, everything is just easier. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to go back. Yeah. And, it, and I think it is a good way to uh, to allow um, as many people as are, are interested to be involved. One of the things was that that um, when I first started that, I mean, the whole web access with the web access initiative at the W3C, the, a lot of the groups and group uh, discussions were private. And one of the things that the what WG and the the whole Develop change in development of HTML did was was actually bring things out to the open, and so that sort of brought the W3C along to the, what we see today. That by default, the the working groups when they're set up are set up and they have public mailing lists and public discussion forums, etc. It used to be that they're all closed, um, and the web accessibility uh, initiative, you know, sort of held on to that for quite a while, but now. Thankfully, there's a lot more open discussion. I mean, the, the, I think the fear was always that you were going to get lots of people involved um, and it would be overwhelming. But people just generally don't get involved unless they're interested and have got something useful to say, well, hopefully. Um, so that that hasn't transpired. But what you have done is that there's a, a much broader... Uh, group of stakeholders involved in in any particular discussion which is really what the w3c whole consensus model is is about so i think it's a positive thing but having said that you know that people talk about the w3c as if it's a closed shop as i said i i was involved and became editor of, of several specifications and i was not a um uh, a member or or a person who was employed by a member organization. Eventually, um, TPG uh, started getting enough money to be able to actually become a member. But that didn't happen until you know, 2014 or something. So for many years, I was involved and, and was welcomed and, and uh, had influence within, you know, about certain aspects of, of the specifications when I was just a you know another person on the street. In uh, in our company, we're actually doing sort of an or we have been doing an accessibility ramp up. Uh, it's ongoing. It was initiated during the the spring of this year, and uh, because I mean obviously accessibility just it, it it it's it's getting more and more important. It's not. It's not like it's getting less important than it was 20 years ago. It's growing more and more important. So I think there's a lot of these sort of ramp-ups going on in, in different industries when it, comes to, when it comes to web development, of course, in particular. That's, that's what me and William uh, uh, is mainly working with. But William, you know, you being a lead developer... Um, being part of, of this accessibility ramp up, you've been to a few workshops and, and uh, sessions about accessibility. Like, what is the most uh, or what is the most difficult things? If you have been working, even if you've been working with web development for, for quite a while, but maybe you haven't really taken this into account, at least not to an extent that that we are now seeing is very important like what what are the main obstacles would you say uh right so honestly it, it like I, I went to yeah like you said i went to a workshop uh, a few weeks ago and i think that guy was pretty much spot on to what what many of us what our problems were uh so i'm not gonna like take credit for saying this <laughs> but that is that as developers, we, it feels like we 
we tend to think that, okay, we need to think about accessibility, uh, but this is complicated, so we should probably automate it. Uh, and then we start adding these tools that we can find here and there that can lint the code or do like visual testing and, and those sort of things just so we can, you know, sort of tick the box on accessibility. Uh, but what that guy said was that really that should just be the tip of the pyramid. And instead, what you should do is build up a, a, a good uh, foundational understanding of this is uh, how you should expect content to behave on your site. When you press the arrow keys, uh, things should be a certain way. Uh, having a, a snazzy banner with colors that are very similar to each other, that's maybe not uh, something you should be doing. Um, you should try to avoid using divs. Uh, maybe there's maybe i'm being uh, too simple uh, expressing expressing it too simply here but uh, try to use the tags that are supposed to be uh, for what you're making uh, i think that's been like the main problem and i think that's something i'm still me and many others are still somewhat struggling with there's there's so many html tags these days uh, and for someone who's not maybe on the you know sort of I mean, I work in front-end, but I'm more of the tool guy than the web developer guy. Uh, so it, I think that's kind of hard. It's easy to forget about all these tags. And uh, that, that's that been I, like a big pain, I think, for us. One of them, at least. Before this in interview, we were talking about a very specific case about um, ARIA labels. Uh, yeah. And you had like the question, when do I use ARIA labels? Or, yeah. or like, should I always use, maybe you, uh, was it like you said, shouldn't I use ARIA labels at all time? Yeah, yeah, this, this was a, a situation like uh, that occurred, and I, I can't recall it exactly, but it's like, we had, we had some tags that were like explaining the content of wherever we, was work, we were working, uh, but it was like, okay, but should, shouldn't we apply an ARIA label here as well to explain what it is? No, the tag explains what it is, uh, or at least I think that's somewhat how it went. And then it's like, but what, what? When do I draw the line? When do I do area labels to specify the content or not? That's a very specific uh, issue that I ran into. Uh, Steve, so, uh, what do you think about that one? <laughs> yeah, and also like well, I think that using area labels. Well, area labels yeah. have their place, but you know, one of the things that I always try to get into people's heads is that ARIA should only be used if there is no appropriate HTML um, element or attribute to use instead. Okay, I mean, it's just... Right. And the reasons for that is that... Um, the main reason is is that, that uh, the HTML semantics are more robust um, and backwards, you know, compatible than than the aria. Now, I mean, there's <clears throat> there's caveats that, that come with that. But in the most instances, you know, if you're trying to label a form control, um, a text input, for example, you use a, a label element and and um, associate using the foreign ID. The reason why you do that over providing uh, an aria label on the text input, for example, is because a the the um, one thing is is the label element has other uh, UI um, associated improvements, such as you know if you've got a something wrapped in a label, then if you click on it, then it actually moves the um, cursor into the the text input, for example. And also the the another thing is that an ARIA label is only available to technology essentially screen readers at this point in time. Um, whereas a, a physical, you know, a text label is available to everyone. So that's one example. But I, I mean, I won't go into the details of ARIA label usage here, but I've recently, or last year, I wrote a uh, article about it on my blog, which is called um, Not So Short Note on ARIA Label. And it actually... Uh, lists all of the HTML elements and whether or not you should use ARIA label on them because some some on some elements it just doesn't work 
And there's reasons for that. It's because of what what the is exposed in the accessibility APIs from the semantics of that particular element. Like on a div, it doesn't work because that has a what is known as generic role, and those generic roles aren't exposed to assistive technology. Um, but uh, yeah, so you you know it, there's there's clear understanding and and uh, clear details for every HTML element that you can find. Um, whether or not you should be using the ARIA label on it. We'll definitely leave a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, I think my, my me myself will personally have a, a long evening a read of that one because this this is, has been one of the challenges in my opinion. Uh, and there was okay. a, yeah, a various. I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go, go ahead. I was just going to say another thing is you know is that people thinking that that ARIA is the only way to provide, um, is to provide the, the, the appropriate semantics to assistive technology, and it's just not. Uh, ARIA, before, long before ARIA was around, the information is being expo- was being exposed and, and to assist technologies through the browser accessibility APIs, and that is because the same semantics, well, the semantics are built into each of the HTML elements. And if, so if you use the HTML appropriately, then you know the, that information gets exposed. If you use a heading element of the appropriate level, H1, H2, or whatever, that information, the, the fact that it's a heading that it has a, a, a level is is exposed to the through the browser accessibility API to the assist technology. Really what ARIA does is allow, whereas before ARIA came along, that that accessibility information that was exposed, you couldn't you couldn't modify it or write it um, as an author or developer. What what it does is allow you to modify it and write it, and um, but it's still the you know to to uh, assist technology whether you're using um, uh, role equals heading and uh, area level one uh, or a H one. And there's no difference to to uh, assist technology. It's still exposing the same information. So ARIA exposes the same information. Um, it's just a different way of writing it. But the the thing is, is that for if you're using an appropriate H1 element, then that has other benefits. So it's you know sort of like um, other uh, other tools that that look for heading semantics that don't pick up ARIA semantics. Um, the if you use a, a heading role and and uh, area level that is not picked up as part of the document outline, for example, unless you're in assistive technology. Right, it's kind of like the uh, I think one favorite example I have is uh, the B tag and the strong tag. Like the the, the the that's maybe not exactly the same thing here, but uh, the strong tag is something that you should use instead of the area label, and that also allows the UI to tweak. Maybe a person is having uh, doesn't like bold text and can turn that off with a strong tag. Uh, like strong is just is just some kind of emphasis, right? And yeah, yeah, you want to use that instead of area labels, uh, so the browser can do its work basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. I mean, yeah, but things like text level semantics like that are, are actually like strong and and be. I mean, that they're not this the actual um, exposure of the semantics is it is not really greatly supported or actually occurs. So it's more. I mean, if you're thinking about the use of semantic elements, you'd be thinking about use table. Elements and the you know t- table headers etc. Appropriately use interactive elements. So any controls, links etc. Use those appropriately. Use lists for list items, heading for headings. Um, use aria land or landmark roles that you know you can use aria landmarks roles, but you can use you know use header for to the main element etc. Appropriately. Mm. Do those if you if you use those basic set of of elements appropriately, then as far as the structure and the interaction is that you, you don't really need you know you're basically ninety percent of the way there. It's where you use elements that that 
you know, divs and, and spans or whatever that have a visual meaning but don't actually convey their underlying uh, semantic meaning other than through the visual aspect. Talking about these kind of semantics really pique my my interest, and I I have a I think a, a pretty nerdy question about like H1 tags and these these kind of semantics, but we're gonna save it for later because first I just wanted to to ask something entirely uh, an entirely different question. It has to do with the fact that um, I had a very specific reason for bringing this up. The the situation here with William and the Aria label and sort of that you can sometimes sometimes have during these sort of discussions and interactions. I I stumble upon this uh, Twitter thread um, yeah. posted like in I th- in in uh, January this year uh, by a guy named Patrick H. Loki, I think it's it's pronounced oh, Loki, maybe. Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of, yeah, yeah. He's a very good friend of mine. Oh, that's and he used to work at TBGI. That's really yeah. interesting. I, I didn't know that, but uh, he he posted this thread about uh, WCAG three, and I'm gonna read it out loud because it's super interesting and it sort of it it's it really fits into what uh, what. Um, William is talking about uh, uh, regarding engineering engineers wanting to use toolings and, and these kind of things. So so he says first skim over WCAG three, and uh, I have questions, quite pointed ones. Some of the example guidelines fill me with a yeah, well, that's just your opinion, man. Feel um, common clear words. Okay, cool. Who decides what that actually means authoritatively? And also, go, he goes on saying, uh, uh, quoting, uses visually distinctive headings. Who decides what is and isn't distinctive enough? Compare heading content with non heading content. The size, weight, or spacing around headings should be larger. Okay, cool. But how larger, slash heavier, slash, etc.? <laughs> so. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on this? I'm guessing that you've run across these sort of uh, scenarios and, and discussions and questions, even with uh, WCAG two. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that is that is the sort of I I follow the the WCAG two discussions, and Patrick is is very active on these discussions, which thankfully he is. Um, but these. The whole thing about success criteria, because we as XSP consultants or engineers uh, have to um, decide whether a given piece of UI um, passes or fails to certain criteria and why. And so having these vagaries makes it really difficult to actually make that decision. And it also means that the people's personal prejudices or personal personal um, you know, likes or dislikes will be involved in whether the decision over whether something passes. So, for better or worse, WCAG two, uh, two point one now, um, soon to be two point two. That a lot of the the basis of it is being able to provide. Um, well, it tries to be uh, as oh, what's the word. <laughs> non-subjective as as possible mm-hmm. the opposite of subjective i can't i can't remember what objective maybe objective that's it yes thank you <laughs> my, my brain so yeah it tries to be as objective as possible and one of the things that patrick has been doing is has been going through and poking at at the various um bits of of, of the normative and informative uh content within wcag uh and saying you know trying to actually pin it down so it's actually clearer. Because the clarity, because you know, you know, there's probably some old joke about, you know, you about um, 10 accessibility uh, experts in a room and you'll get 10 different answers about a particular piece of, you know, a particular interpretation or whatever. And that is true. But um, 
Wakehead 3, the thing to remember about Wakehead 3, it's still got a long way to go before it actually becomes a recommendation. And these, and, and what happens is, as it happened in Wakehead 2 and Wakehead uh, 2.1, 2.2, is you have these periods of public review and where people can, can say what they, um, and, you know, can poke holes in it and, and ask for clarifications and things like that. So... That is part of the process, you know, is is uh, what Patrick has um, elucidated uh, on Twitter there is part of that process. Um, thankfully, you know, he just doesn't say it on Twitter. He actually gets into the weeds and, and actually, um, you know, sort of uh, details, uh, makes detailed commentary about, about such things. So what we know is Wakehead 3, and it's an ambitious project, um, I the, I know the people that are involved. One of the the main people is a, a person by the name of Jean Spellman, who used to work at the W3C, and she's um, she's a very uh, uh, knowledgeable individual. But it's the process. As I said, it's a consensus building process, and so they put you know if they they you put drafts out there. They get pulled apart. You go back and you try to sort of fill in the gaps and make it better. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with Pat, and uh, most of the time, and um, <laughs> I agree that uh, the Wakehead Three at the moment is just a bit woolly. But at this stage, I'm not surprised. Now, talking about Patrick, Patrick did a, uh, a presentation at Accessibility Toronto, Accessibility TO, back in 2019, called um, This Is Not The Wakehead Criterion You're Looking For or something. Anyway, I'll, I'll provide you um, with that. So there's the present, there's a, a recording of, of him doing the presentation plus his slides, and there's a really good um, introduction and, and exposition of the, the vagaries and trying to sort of understand how Wakehead criteria fit together. So it's well worth, it's something you can share with your, uh, your, your uh, comrades in the, in Telia. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah sounds really great. I have um, just one more question on this very interesting yeah. topic. And um, um, recently I read this, this article um, about a design lead named Dave House on medium.com. The headline of this article is why debate non-text contrast of UI elements? And the too long didn't read summary is stop debating if any particular UI element needs to comply with WCAG 2.1 non-text contrast and just do it. So in in essence, the success criterion one Point four point eleven non-text contrast contrast. It states that uh, visual information required to identify user interface components and states, except for inactive components or where the appearance of the component is determined by the user agent and not modified by the author. And basically, yeah. what what he states here in in this article, he he makes a few really really fascinating examples uh, where he actually looks at the the login prompt for Facebook and uh, he looks at the uh, the buttons on on Google search the Google's uh, the, the landing page for for Google search and uh, yeah it's it's really really interesting but but in in essence he he says that like follow the sentiment behind non-text contrast and just make things that a user needs to interact with recognizable to all uh, because they are often the most important things on the screen. And I think, why not do that? Why not say, as he says, like when he says, stop debating if a particular UI element needs to comply and just do it. Um, why not have that? Sorry, but lots of people. I agree with that, but lots yeah. of people don't because it, oh. <laughs> because it, it, you know, the the uh, the requirement uh, 
interrupts their you know, their design, so they don't want to do that. But they're not actually they're thinking about aesthetics. Well, a I wouldn't say that that aesthetics and accessibility is by any way um, counter. You know, do you can both have as aesthetics, so visual aesthetics, and and it can be usable and accessible and inclusive. But I mean, what you know, if you're having interactive content, what is the function? What is the reason why you have that interactive content on there? It's not to look, you know, with your with your color, you know, your brand colors or whatever. It's actually to allow people to do something. If you want to allow people to do something, do the basics. I mean, the 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 uh, the requirement is one point three uh, is three to one. It's not, uh, you know. It's not as if it, it's you're, you. You can only use black or and white together. You could use a, a huge range of colours to be actually, but still, yeah. Make don't make people have to have to think or have to struggle to be able to use these things. I know. I mean, I don't consider myself as having a disability, but as I've aged, um, uh, some people may disagree with that. But as I've aged. Uh, <laughs> my eyes have become progressively worse. So now I have to use glasses. And so, so, you know, I can't, I, some things I, I just have to put my glasses on to look at. And so I don't, I, I don't want to have to struggle and, and, you know, increase the, the font of things just to be able to read your website. I want to just be able to go there or your web application. I want to yeah. be able to go there and use it. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, there's there's many factors. Uh, I mean, when you get older, you also make more assumptions about whatever you're observing. So it's like if you go to a page and it's just wildly different because they thought it would look better, uh, that's actually going to implicate a lot of people in a bad way because uh, they're used to having things in a certain way, uh, basically. That's not to be underestimated, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I have a question, which is actually I'm gonna I'm gonna see how we fare here because uh, this is a fairly new for me, and I don't know where your experience is with this personally. Uh, but so in in our organization, we actually do a lot of work with uh, web components. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we 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 have a we have an initiative going on for a global design system with a UI component library. Uh, and that library is made using uh, Stencil, which you may have heard of. Well, it's it's a component. Uh, it's like a, a way to generate web components, uh, basically. Yeah. So, but uh, there have been some statements going around, which is that uh, using things like the Shadow DOM uh, actually complicates the uh, the alley or the accessibility uh, process quite a bit. It makes it much harder to to work with accessibility. Do you have any experience with that? And uh, would you know uh, if there's any work in progress to alleviate these pains? Because the Shadow DOM is still relatively new in adoption. So I looked. At, I actually looked at this about five or six years ago uh, when web components were were new, were really new. And what I found at the time was that. <sighs> That um, the shadow dom. The only problem with the shadow dom is that things else that, for example, if you have a, a label outside of the shadow dom and you attempt to attach it to an input that's inside of the shadow dom, the the association doesn't work. Same thing for things like ARIA described by or any ARIA relationship attributes. You can't do the association from outside, inside, or inside, outside. Apart from that, there's no difference. So, you, yeah, I mean, I don't think that, unless there's been something new that's that's happened of late, and I, I think I did look at it again a year or two ago, and I don't, there's not a major impediment. I'd be interested to find out what, or what impediments that were, or issues that people were raising as far as accessibility is concerned, um, I think it was mostly related to forms. Sorry to interrupt, but it was uh, mostly about the forms, I believe. Um, I wish I had the specifics uh, at this moment, which I don't. But uh, it was mostly about forms. Come, come, 
come back to me uh, uh, after, you know, some day after, afterwards and ping me and, and we can talk about it. There should be there should be no issues with the if you say as I said that if there was an issue with associating a, a a piece of text from outside the shadow dom inside the shadow dom, but the shadow dom is used is is used internally by if you look at the the doc, the structure of of in Chrome for example uh, things like the um, What's it, uh, what's it called? The spin box, um, the number element, which is uh, you know, which is a uh, which is represented by a by a spin box. You know, you've got the the, the little buttons, and you, you know, changes the number, cranks the number up and down. But you can also put a number in there, so it's like a text box. If you look at the 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 um, under the hood of that, that it's created using the shadow DOM. It's implemented within within the browser using using Shadow DOM, so it's not something that's that that causes inherent accessibility problems. You just have to be aware of of the limited constraints that are on it when you're using, um, you know, sort of relationship attributes essentially. Yeah, I think um, so. I actually found the note here, and it's actually. Uh, mostly it was that if you have a, a form and if you have like a web component inside the form and you have an input inside of that one, uh, it won't connect properly to the form outside of the Shadow DOM. So I don't know if that's actually borderline like a technical problem. Uh, might not even be about accessibility. I mean, it may, may yeah. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it is, but. <laughs> When it's you know stuff in the shadow DOM that that's part of the you know the pre-rendering like when you actually interact with it in the DOM it's all in the DOM it's yeah. all there so it's not like that that the the actual you know the actual uh, controls or whatever they may be they just they just presented in the DOM as part of the DOM so so that's what and then that's what the accessibility tree is built off. And so there, there's no, yeah, there's no difference or no. Right. Well, that that's pretty reassuring, uh, given we've we've uh, we we've been betting on web components. Yeah, I mean, web components in the stuff. I mean, you know, the things about web components are is that yeah, you if you're building web components that are based that don't have any inbuilt semantics, you've got to add all the semantics and interaction. That's the difference. But the thing is about components, as in any other sort of pre-built framework, is you build it once and then you reuse it. So, you you know, you have to put the time into building the accessibility into it, as well as all the other things, the interaction into it. But once you're done, then, it you know, you just reuse it. So, yeah, exactly. running out of time a little bit so um, to wrap it up sort of uh, in a sense we have some a, a few more more questions for you uh, Steve sure. one being probably one of the most common question um, for an accessibility engineer and evangelist such as yourself what which are the most common mistakes that people tend to do when they are noobs at accessibility so to speak people make the mistake of not understanding that html is um uh a meaningful language that's one thing the other thing uh, another mistake is people make the mistake of thinking that the way they use a particular interface is the only way. They don't think beyond themselves. So if they always use a mouse on a big screen on a Mac, you know, a high, a high uh, powered Mac, then they think that's what everybody does. Um, another thing is is that um, they think that everybody can understand the the user interface. 
like they understand it. And so they provide, you know, they, people just try to be too clever. That's, that's, that's another thing. Yeah, that that's actually a quote I got from uh, I I heard from uh, the the creator of Node uh, Ryan Dahl. He said, "If you made something and you think it's cute, you should probably remove it." <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, talking about HTML five as a very useful language, that actually brings me to this nerdy question. You know, the breadcrumb of the nerdy the nerdy H one yeah. tag question. And this has to do before you before you go on. Can I just say something? One of the things that um, that really gets on my nose, and it's just me, um, is that people refer to uh, refer to tags to when they mean elements. Yeah. An element. Yeah. So um, just hold on a, another another quick second. It actually is. It, it actually upsets me so much that I made a T-shirt for. And and I I literally violated this during the podcast as well. I said tags. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I, mean not... I did right now. So <laughs> you have to send me one of those T-shirts so so I learn. Oh, we get a T-shirt if we say tags. No, I'm just kidding. See, the thing is, is one of the things that I do in. Uh, at work is that I do a lot of quality assurance and technical, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at the technical output of other engineers and consultants, et cetera, um, and what they're telling clients. And these are the, so this is, <laughs> I made this so I could just share, share it with uh, an, an alternative way of, of getting the message out. And obviously that would be with an appropriate um, alternative text, of course. I think this is uh, perfect. We we should definitely link this uh, as well in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Of course, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. yeah so um, I'll rephrase my question. It will be about this nerdy thing regarding heading elements. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it has X. You know, you see, you learn as long as you live. So yeah. this has to do with the document outline algorithm, which you tried for so long, like seven years to make, uh, basically to make user agents adopt and implement. And I'm just gonna, gonna give the listeners the very brief explanation of the document outline algori algorithm. It actually made it so that you no longer had to because it, it, it would no longer matter what sort of, of element number, like, you know, H1 to H6 was in a heading element. So, uh, and this is when used in conjunction with sectioning elements. So instead, it, what mattered was the nesting level. So you could actually, you could ac actually use H1 elements, but have them nested. So, so in uh, in your own example, Steve, you could have a, a body, and then in the body you had a, an H1 element as a top-level heading. So the parent sectioning element would be body, and then you could have a section, and within that had have an H1, which would then be the second-level heading, but nested within one sectioning element. And then you could have a, a second section with a third H1 element which would then be the third level heading nested within two sections elements and so on but within the document outline you would have a top level heading second level heading and third level heading even though you had three h1s and this yeah. is i mean this is this is brilliant steve so why isn't this working in 2021 <laughs> Why is it working? Because it was, when it was initially um, manifested in the HTML5 specification, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't defined how it would be implemented in browsers. And uh, so it was never, the, the, it's defined in HTML, in HTML, but the, the actual implementation is not normative. 
So there's different, there's lots of things, you know, there's normative and not non-normative statements. So normative statements in any um, specification such as HTML means that in order to um, in order to support the 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 specification or be your implementation needs to uh, support what is defined in the in the specification. As far as H, as the outline algorithm, there was no normative requirements. So that's one reason why it wasn't. It, the, the second reason why it was it wasn't adequately um, discussed with the people, the uh, accessibility um, stakeholders, and the which included the. Uh, this one, this is technology vendors, um, the accessory implementers, uh, engineers within the browsers, browsing uh, vendors as well. So it, it never came to pass because it, it was not well designed, was a brilliant idea, but it wasn't actually defined to be implemented. So I, I just dropped a, uh, a, um, a link in there to, to an article I wrote uh, this year and also last year called uh, this year is called a decade plus a year of getting backwards because I have been intimately involved <laughs> intimately involved with the the, the whole de debate around this um, and it has been eternally frustrating um, yes it, yeah and I agree very much it would be great if it was well when when you think about what what you're actually saying is that that the outline algorithm doesn't actually define it. It's only about the use of H1. If you stick a H6 um, somewhere, it doesn't, it's not defined, unfortunately. It's not defined as it won't get the appropriate um, uh, heading level. Mm. Um, and so you have a partial implementation in uh, CSS. So if you use the structure, if you use... Uh, sectioning elements and you put a h1 in two levels down in the section element it will appear as if it's a h3 but it'll still be a h1 in the in every every other sense so but if there's something missing like if there's a, let's say okay it's not normative enough uh, uh was there any work that tried to be done to sort of make it more specific in implementation wise or did no one believe in it? Well, it wasn't. And yeah, there, there has been work done over the years, and there was also, and you'll see from time to time that the the you know sort of the web standards glitterati will um, will take up the cause. I think Jake Archibald wrote something about it a couple of years ago, and then you know you hear you know from Jeremy Keith on occasion and and things like this at various times. Um, it's always been a, a nut that's too hard to crack. What and what what is worse is that if you look at the um, at the what WG specification HTML specification today, that it still gives people the notion that this is actually a real thing, is actually implemented somewhere when it it just ain't. And so I, I myself and others have spent years just. One of the things I did with HTML5 um, and the subsequent uh, point releases of that was make it clear that the, the algorithm wasn't implemented. And I also brought the same thing up at um, within the WG. Uh, I brought an issue up to say, at least put something in there to tell people that it's not true. But th that was about five or six years ago. They still haven't <laughs> done it. So... So anyway, if you want to read more of the history, you can you can look at it there. But at the time, you know, quite early on, about ten years ago, I worked with the with people, the implementers, the accessibility engineers that implemented in the browsers at the time, trying to get them to to uh, implement it. And the 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 problem, part of the problem is is that that and it was argued at the time from from engineers, not accessibility engineers, that that Putting this in as in as a feature 
in the DOM would be too computationally heavy. So it, you won't get, so what I mean is that it, it would never um, be available, they, didn't, they wouldn't make it available for as a developer to be able to use the, this information, um, but they wanted to have it put into the accessibility layer. So there's always this, there was this conflict between actually implementing it as a feature within HTML and implementing it only in the accessibility layer. So that was part of the, the rub. But I mean, it's just, yeah. I, I, I have this thing now where I, where I feel that certain touchstone um, issues have really, have really uh, wound me up. It's like the, <laughs> the, main, the, the main element. I, at the time when, when uh, HTML, when the, um, the other elements such as the structural elements such as header and footer and the side were, uh, were added to HTML, um, the, the thinking was that at the time that, that well, you've got all these other things, so anything not inside one of those will be the main content. And my argument was that, well, let's just define an element called main and, you know, to be able to define that. And But that was, there was huge pushback against that, and I lost sleep. And so eventually I... Um, I defined it and published as a as a proposal and work with a, a good friend of mine, a guy called Mike Smith, who works at W3C. He's also the maintainer and developer of the W3C validator. And he helped me get the first implementation into WebKit. Um, but still, there was a lot of pushback. So eventually it did get into, into the W3C HTML specification. Then it was added to the WG, but... The WG specification for a long time made the main element um, defined it as as nothing much more than a div, uh, it, because the person who was editing the H, the WHL specification was just dead against it, and so um, and I'd spent about three or four years arguing back and forth about this, so to eventually get to the point where the main element definition is actually aligned between the two specifications. So what's how the main element is is defined in what WG now is 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 as it should be that you know it has a uh, the meaning of the main element content and it it can't be used ad infinitum it should only be should, should be no more than one main element within a, a document. It's funny. I still see main, the main element and the development are still next to each other in the what we give <laughs> specifications. <laughs> so I can see remnants of that. Yeah. Yeah. But it right. was. Yeah. It's just. Uh, yeah. These things are just. Uh, they've just worn me out. I mean, those are the. Yeah. Sorry. Once I start <laughs> ranting about this stuff, I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't. I'm not involved on that. Either. I don't really. I rarely get involved in Stan's discussion in the what WG space these days because it just winds me up too much. <laughs> but I've got you know. I I do plenty of other stuff. I mean, sometimes the the uh, as you were saying, you know, I work on a number of specifications still at the W3C. One of them being Arian HTML, which is a set of author and conformance requirements for the use of ARIA. So where, what, it, what it is, it's about how, you know, if you've got element X, can I use uh, ARIA attribute Y upon that? So, and those, uh, there are a set of rules that is, that's implemented within the W3C uh, conformance checker or validator. It's also implemented in a number of the, uh, other tools as well. And there's a bookmark that you can run. So that's a useful linting tool to have. Because it will it will pull up where um, where you're misusing or you're not using uh, the ARIA attributes appropriately. It's been lovely uh, having you here, Steve. And, Thank you. Uh, and to and be you. Here. Yeah, and it's been um, sorry for for winding you up but it's been lovely for for us to have you wound no, up no, that's fine that's fine just <laughs> i just say that i don't i i really like people ask me to present on occasion not that often but 
Um, but I, I usually don't, and I really, really uh, these days um, speak so so. Uh, this is you know this is this is a, a odd occasion for me. We're honored. Lucky for us. Steve. Yeah, lucky yes. for us. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve. That's it for today. If the topics in this episode piqued your interest, be sure to check out the show notes for more information and inspiration. You can send questions, feedback, or suggestions on future topics through our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash known unknowns. Thanks for listening. 